My name is Pam Benton, and my husband and I have been at Christ Press since 2007. Our text this morning is 1 Peter, the whole chapter of, of chapter 5, and it is full of amazing and wonderful things that we could spend weeks and weeks on. But it's God's Word, and we will be spending a very short time here, but I hope that you have read this text. If not, punch, punch pause and do it now. Last week, I was organizing my recipes with absolutely no intention to cook, but I came across these two pages of tips for a lifetime. For instance, stuff a miniature marshmallow in the bottom of a sugar cone to present ice cream drips. Or, to keep potatoes from budding, place an apple in the bag with them. And there are two pages of these little jewels. I was working on 1 Peter 5, and the guidelines that Peter gives us for a fruitful and faithful life can hardly be called tips. This is God's word, and these are his instructions by the Holy Spirit to Peter for our direction. His word is filled with guidance for his people, but in the passage before us, Peter gives four very clear, important instructions. Humble yourselves, cast your anxieties on him, be self-controlled and alert, and resist the devil. God's response to our obedience is clearly given in the text, too, and it's wonderful. The things that he does for us, perfecting us, establishing us, strengthening us, restoring us, all those things. But these precious promises are a study in themselves, and right now we're going to look at the four responsibilities that Peter gives. The first is... Humble yourself. God opposes the proud. That is an often repeated essential for a saving relationship with God. Faith in him begins with repentance. And we really cannot repent without humbling ourselves and falling on him. What did we do to earn forgiveness of sin and eternal life? Absolutely nothing. As we have been told again and again from the pulpit, the only thing that we bring to our salvation is the sin from which we are saved. And yet, God wants us to live a life that is pleasing to him. It's our nature to be proud. We think that we are the absolute center of the universe. We don't teach our babies and toddlers to be proud and selfish. They always think that they're the center of everything. They're born that way. And many of us never outgrow that, sadly. One of my granddaughters was ordering her sister around and had been doing so for a long time. And the younger sister turned to her, put her hands on her hips and said, You are not God. And that is true. We are not God. And we don't need to be acting like we are. So Peter tells us to clothe ourselves with humility. Put it on like a cloak. One commentator has said, wrap yourself in humility. And I think that phrase in itself is something that we could spend a lot of time talking about. How would we do that? And I suggest that you do that in your small groups. How do we wrap ourselves in humility? In Christ, we are robed with his righteousness that is our only access to God. When God looks at me, what does he see? He sees that I am covered or robed 
in the blood of Christ and washed whiter than snow. We need to remember that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The second instruction is that we cast our anxieties on him. Jesus tells us not to be anxious. We are not to worry about our lives. That burden will wear us down so that we are not good for anything. We're not useful to the Lord if we are worry, worry, worrying all the time. Don't you love Philippians 4, 6 that reminds us, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests, or we might say your burdens, be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We humble ourselves before God by throwing our cares on him. Acknowledge the fact they are too much for us to bear, that we need him to bear our burdens. Staying in God's word is really a constant reminder of his care and a reminder that he is watching over us and taking care of us. He is asking to bear all of our burdens. I was involved with Youth for Christ as a teenager, and one of the little choruses that we sang, uh, and a few of you might be old enough to remember this, we'd say, rolled away, rolled away, rolled away. Every burden of my heart rolled away. Every sin had to go neath the crimson flow. Hallelujah, rolled away, rolled away, rolled away. Every burden of my heart rolled away. And, you know, that is a, that's something to sing about. That is worth singing about. And singing that song always brought to mind Pilgrim and Pilgrim's Progress. Remember, Christian finally reaches the place of deliverance, which is the cross of Christ and the open sepulcher of Christ. And at that point, the straps that bound Christian's burden to him break and it rolls away into the open sepulcher. That's the heart of Pilgrim's Progress. And it's something that we need to have in our minds all the time. He wants us to roll our burdens onto him. He does know and he does care and he wants to carry them for us. One little word of warning. Don't cast your burdens on him and then just pick them up again. <laughs> we, we are prone to do that. And he wants us to let him bear them. In the book of Deuteronomy, which I have, I'm reading through the Bible again, and I've just finished Deuteronomy. And do you remember that wonderful phrase, what mean these stones? Do you remember that under the leadership of Joshua, that the children of Israel were told to be led by the Ark of the Covenant into the River Jordan at flood time, and God would part the waters and they would walk through on dry ground. And as they walked through, they were supposed to pick up large stones, the leaders were, from the middle of the river. And then they would build um, a berm, of, you know, build a little stack of rocks as a reminder of, of God's faithfulness. And then they would take their children back there, and they would say to them, or the children would say to them, what mean these stones? And then they could tell the children about God's faithfulness and how he brought them into the promised land. One of God's often repeated instructions to us, really throughout scripture, 
is for us to remember. Remember. That was one of the major problems of the children of Israel in the wilderness. They kept forgetting God's faithfulness and his forgiving grace and his love for them. And so he kept reminding them again and again, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. What is it that you need to be remembering? What is it that God has done for you over and over and over and over? We need to build stones and go back to them and share with other people what those stones mean in our lives. And then we're told to be awake. This is the third thing, to be awake and alert and to resist the devil. R.C. Sproul in his commentary reminds us, God is not the only spiritual being who takes an interest in us. We are told in verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. There are two big mistakes that are made about Satan. First, we take him too seriously as if he, like God, is omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. Friends, he is none of those things. But he is an angel, fallen, angry, powerful, and eager to devour God's children. People can become so obsessed with him, they see a demon behind every bush. Um, They always want to blame everything that happens in their life on the devil. The devil made me do it. Uh, We need to understand his nature. He cannot be everywhere. He cannot be everywhere. He is not omnipresent. And he doesn't know everything, but we do need to remember his nature and his work. His name means deceiver, and he will do that in our lives. The other problem about Satan is that others don't think that he is real, and they fall into his hands because they do not believe in his power. They do not take him seriously, and they reduce him to a cartoon villain. My friends... Satan is no cartoon. I think one of the things that meant the most to me in terms of helpful thinking um, as I studied for this was Dan Doriani's commentary on 1 Peter. Listen carefully. Satan has blinded Western societies ethically. Notice how we talk about ethics. People are no longer evil or perverse. They have just adopted alternative lifestyles. Deeds are no longer right or wrong. They are appropriate or inappropriate. That applies that wicked acts are nothing worse than breaches of etiquette. If someone offers us a chance to do evil, we don't say that's wrong. We say I'm not comfortable with that, as if comfort were a moral category. Think about that in the light of what's going on in our country today in terms of ethics, sexual ethics, and every other kind of ethics. Peter says, resist him standing firm in the faith or throw God's word at him as Jesus did. Remember in the desert, every time Satan tempted him, he would give him back God's word. And we need to know God's word in order to throw it in Satan's face. James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That is hard. It's hard to resist, but God never commands unless he enables. 
But let me tell you something that is sweet, sweet, sweet. In the Greek, the word you is in the plural. Resist the devil and he will flee from you, plural. Us together. We are part of the church and together we strive to live faithfully. We need each other in order to resist. We can't do it by ourselves. And yet God has put us in his family so that we can resist together. You remember Aaron and her when the Israelites were fighting the Amorites and it wasn't going very well. And God told Moses to get up on the top of the mountain that was overlooking the battle. And as long as he had his arms in the air, Israel would win. But his arms got so tired. And remember, Aaron and Hur came and held up his arms all day long because he needed them in order to, to see what God was going to do. Whose arms are we holding up? Whose arms are you holding up? as we pray for them in times of the trials that will be part of our lives until we go to heaven. We need close relationships. Even Peter and Paul never wanted to be alone. At the end of all of their letters, it's so interesting, they always go back and talk about their friends who are with them and the friends that are not with them that they miss so very much. They needed them. Peter and Paul were spiritual giants and yet they could not do it alone. Resist the devil and he will flee from us together. We must take time if we're going to build these relationships. It, it takes time to build those kinds of relationships that we need so badly. And finally, Peter closes his letter by assuring these young Christians that the outcome of our life depends much more on the power and grace, on God's power and grace, than on our labors. Let me read that again. He assures these young Christians that the outcome of our life depends much more on God's power and His grace and His work than on our labors. These instructions are certainly to be obeyed, but it's God that's working in us and through us to accomplish all that he wants. And he ends, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and, set, and steadfast. May it be so with us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us enough to give us your instructions for living the way that you want us to live. By the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, give us the wisdom and the strength and the grace to obey you in all of these things. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.